Hi, it's episode 177, and today we're talking about why kids need art. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi, it's Danae. Thank you for tuning in. Here we are at episode 177, and today we're talking a little bit about art and kids. Art is not a topic that I know much about, but I do know that it's important. It's important for adults. It's important for kids. And I want to foster the love and interest within my kids. Today, I have a guest, Mary Cherry. Mary is an author and an art studio owner and works almost exclusively with kids. But first, here's a quick one-minute word from today's sponsor. The sponsor for today's episode is Sprout Kids, and some of you might be familiar with Sprout Kids if you've seen pictures of my kids' bedrooms or our playroom. We have a lot, almost exclusively, furniture from Sprout Kids. Over the past couple of years, I've gotten to know their founder, Clark Davis, and I can tell you that they are absolutely a small business producing their items locally here in the U.S., And perhaps more importantly, their furniture is designed with both kids and parents in mind. It's functional so kids can use it and establish independence, but it also looks good and fits into the decor of most homes. Another thing I love about Sprout is that they don't do Black Friday sales. In fact, they quit doing Black Friday sales a couple of years ago because they found that it put extra stress on their employees. And it also put extra stress on you as the consumer who felt rushed to make a buying decision. So instead, they run a fabulous sale for the whole month of November. So if you want to get in on that, go to sprout-kids.com forward slash simple families, and they'll email you the discount code when the sale gets started. Again, that's sprout-kids.com forward slash simple families. So before we get started on today's episode, here is a quick listener spotlight. And this one comes from a recent participant of the Mental Unload. The Mental Unload starts next week, November 7th, and enrollment is now open. So if you're interested, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash unload. So these words come from Emily and she wrote, the Mental Unload was a game changer in my house and honestly, the best thing I've ever done for myself. I signed up in a desperate attempt to help my marriage and actually enjoy being a mother instead of feeling burdened all the time. Danae's approach is simple yet incredibly effective. Over the course of the program, I learned so much about myself and how to communicate with intent instead of an emotional reaction. The result, a happier mom, more laid back, far less stressed, and my kids and husband are reaping the benefits too. Thank you for your kind words, Emily. For anyone interested, the Mental Unload is a seven-day program that I run a couple of times each year to focus on improving the well-being of you as an individual and to improve communication within your partnership. So if you're ready to get your self-care kick-started, or if you feel like you want to head into the holiday seasons feeling a little bit lighter, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash unload. Enrollment's open now, and we start on November 7th. All right, so let's get this started today. So we are talking to Mary Cherry about art. In particular, we're talking about process art, which is something that she specializes in. Now, I'm new to process art, but I very quickly fell in love with the process. No pun intended. Mary describes process art as art that's about the making and the doing versus the final product. So process over product which in a world full of an abundance of well-crafted Pinterest activities, sometimes it can be easy to lose sight of the importance of the journey and get fixated on that final product. I personally don't know much about art, creating it, or really understanding the importance of it, but I'm learning. And the more that I learn, the more that I understand how I want this to be a part of my kid's life. As Mary and I are talking about today, the fundamental skills that underlie art are things like confidence and creativity and connection. And these are skills that are going to transfer into any career that my kids pursue, even if it's not art. And it's probably not going to be art based on our genetics. In today's episode, Mary and I are also talking about kids who say they don't like art or seem uninterested and are hard to engage because art is for these kind of kids too. It's just a matter of finding the right way in to get them on board. If you want to get more info about the stuff that Mary and I are talking about today, go to the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 177. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the podcast. 
Hi, Danae. I'm so happy to be here. It's really good to chat with you. So I got your book this summer. It came out in June, right? It came out in June, right around a special time for you too, right? Yeah, just a week after my book. And it was actually published by the same publisher as I used. So that's one of the ways that I... I took note. Um, so your book is called Play, Make, Create, a process art handbook. And I was so excited to get my hands on this, um, not because I know much about art or I'm really into art. I actually feel like I know very little about art and I don't have a ton of artistic inspiration, but this book has made me feel like it's possible. Oh, that's so great because that's so much of my intention with the book is to let parents, especially moms, know that they can do this and they don't have to know anything about art. Right. And I want to clarify to everybody listening that the ideas that we're talking about today and this idea of incorporating more art into your life and into your kid's life is not one more thing for your to-do list. I want everyone to view it more of a mindset shift and really starting to notice the importance of it and appreciate that sometimes it can be a lot easier. It doesn't have to be a super labor-intensive Pinterest project, right, Mary? Uh, totally. No, this is not like how you can be a Pinterest mom and take these like perfect pictures of these elaborate projects you're doing at home. It's, it's the opposite of that. Right. So I'll start just by talking a little bit about my personal experiences with art and really, I guess, what I've done with my kids successfully or mostly unsuccessfully. Um, so I have basically no background in art, whether it to be art appreciation, art history, or the creation of art. Um, I've always known that it's important, but haven't really known a way to properly execute it or to um, really spark the interest in my kids. And I think that when I got your book, so that one of the taglines on your book says, activities and projects that inspire confidence, creativity, and connection. And those words really resonate with me, confidence, creativity, and connection. So even if art isn't something that I feel super competent at, I feel like the way that art really provides those opportunities for those things, that is what really has me interested in process art. Yeah, me too, really. And and I don't have a background in art, just to say that. My, my background is teaching. So um, I'm right there with you. And those kind of things like confidence and creativity and connection, that, that's really what speaks to me too. So how did you get started in this field? Um, well, I was teaching K through two for many years. And I was always, I always loved art. I was very artistic as a kid. I got a lot of confidence from create, from creating different things because I was good at it. And um, I enjoyed it so much and my family valued art making. And as a teacher, I um, always did a lot of art in my classroom. And then when I got married and quickly had two girls back to back, I started blogging about the creative things that we were doing at home. And it's just like my passion for all this creativity and the effect that it was having on my girls and on me and my family just really got me excited. Yeah. And I will say that I flipped open your, to your flipped open your book. And the first thing, my three-year-old daughter was right next to me. And the first page that we flipped to was the page with the wands made out of sticks. Mm -hmm. And so just for a little background, like I have never, I don't think I've ever executed a Pinterest art project with my kids. I have never um, opened a book like this and done an art project with my kids, but I opened that up. I saw, look, a stick and some string and some beads. We can do this. And like within <laughs> an hour, we had a, not just a, a beautiful, not just a stick one, but a beautiful one. Like it was, and she loves it. She's still, I mean, she carries it around all the time. And it, I was just like, wow, like this is, this is, this is possible. And it's exciting because this, it doesn't take a lot of planning and help me understand what process art really is. And where does this idea come from? Sure. But just let me say way to go, mom. That is so great. <laughs> and you can see how like 
the ideas are simple and they're inexpensive and they're just manageable. And I really just wanted to create a resource for moms that you can flip through, your kids can flip through it with you. You can say, let's do that. And it's like, okay, let's give it a go, you know? So um, I'm so happy you had that experience and your daughter still has her wand. That's great. Yes. Um, so process art, process art in simple terms is art that's all about the making and the doing rather than the finished product. So um, it's about creating a, an engaging, rich experience and focusing on, the, focusing on the experience rather than the outcome, you know, process over product. And these are all, all the activities in the book are ways to have those kind of experiences. So I don't know if this is the intent of process art, but I will tell you something that has, that it has helped shift my mindset in getting rid of kids art. (laughs) Because once you start to view art as a process and appreciating that it's about the journey and it's not the final product, you don't feel tied to saving every single thing that they make. I love that because a lot of parents will reach out to me and say, what do I do with all the art that we've accumulated? And it's always difficult for me to answer. And hearing you say that sort of makes me realize why my girls are not attached to their art. They make things all the time. And we don't like, they they don't feel so precious. Yes, we have precious projects that, or certain things that have felt really special to them, and then those will save. But for the most part, it's not like this, every little thing is so special. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I, it feels very freeing to me. And I've been sharing this idea with some of the members who are going through my masterclass who were sort of concerned with how do you, how do you pick and choose what stays and what goes and how do you set limits as far as keeping artwork. And I think that many others have found this idea freeing too, that in our minds, if we can understand and if we can help our kids to understand that this is really about the journey, the creative journey, it's not about saving and coveting this final project this final product for a lifetime. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just always saying, enjoy the, enjoy the journey. My dad said that to me always growing up and enjoy the process. So that's where, that's where the real magic is. Right. And I, I feel like that's sort of my philosophy across the board with kids and with education is it is about the journey. And we've just started homeschooling. I have a kindergartner and we've started homeschooling him this year. And that's not something that I feel like I'm, I've ever really struggled with, but I know that many do this idea that at the end of the day, you need to have produced something, mm-hmm. something visible and measurable. Um, I think that that's something that I see a lot of parents struggling with this idea that if you're, especially stay at home moms who are home with their kids all day, right at the end of the day, they need something to show for their, their time spent with their kids. And sometimes that that's artwork you know, and some piece of impressive artwork that you have executed in partnership with your kids and letting go of that is, is so powerful. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and if we can get there, I mean, it's challenging. We all want those like masterpieces to hang up and prove that our children are these amazing, capable beings who can produce this incredible work. And we'll have those things over the years, but the more we can, I mean, I know it's a struggle for me too, but the more I can just be present with my girls and um, take in the moments, that, that's what's really important. Yes. And I actually saw, and I don't know if it was you that posted this or someone else that I follow on Instagram um, posted this idea of a family collage. Was that yeah. you? Yeah. Okay. Be, it could be I love that. Yeah. I'm, my friend Megan at Art Pantry also does that and, and I'm sure others, but we just, we did a huge family collage and it's, that's one of the things that's really special to me. So tell me about that. What's, what does that look like? How does one go about making a family collage? Sure. And this is one of the ideas in the book sort of mentioned, but collage is such a great process based activity for kids and adults and for families. So um, 
there's so many ways you can do it from just cutting up a cardboard box and having like a big sheet of cardboard to start with. Or we went big because we tend to go big in our house and we had a huge um, five foot by five foot canvas. And over the course of a few weeks, I, we would start by painting it. Then I'd have cutouts of from magazines set out on a table for us to choose from and glue onto the um, canvas. I love, this is a fun idea that often moms don't think of when our kids make drawings and they're just sitting in a pad somewhere. You can, if with their permission, if it's okay with them, like cut them up and then use those to glue onto the canvas. We cut out letters and we put those on the canvas and we just kind of kept it going as long as everyone was interested in it. And now we have this great big collage hanging in our, in our living room, actually. And it's beautiful. Thanks. Yeah, I feel really good about it. <laughs> you know what I thought of when I saw this idea was, I don't know if you've ever heard of, um, if you have a bunch of old t-shirts, cutting them up and making them into a quilt instead of um, donating yeah. them or throwing them away. So I kind of thought about that, this idea that you could save bits and pieces of your favorite things that your kids have made and put them into the collage and make sort of one big, beautiful masterpiece. Absolutely. And that's what this collage is for me. Like I look back on pictures that my girls made of mermaids and different things that have interested them over the years. And it's this great like memory board and it's really nice. And you could also take it to this place of like creating a vision board, which I think is really powerful and fun. Like now my girls are a little older, they're seven and eight. And especially my older one, she, she really wants to be an actress. So she sometimes is cutting out things that have to do with, you know, the Disney channel and acting and different things. So I've introduced her to this idea of a vision board. And that's sort of another way to take it as your family gets older. Oh, interesting. I love that. And will you send me a picture of that family collage and I put it in the show notes for everyone to see so they know what we're talking about? Yeah, for sure. Cool. So um, help me understand the balance between when you're doing process art. Is it somewhere in between a free for all and a highly structured activity? Like where does it fall in that spectrum? Yeah, good question. Because often I think people think process art is a free-for-all and it's definitely not um it's not like oh you want to write with sharpies on the wall great if that's your you know your mood I don't like there are definitely rules and structures because kids I think need that to feel comfortable and safe um so it's about creating loose parameters to excite them and engage them so a process art activity could look like um, putting out some watercolors on a table and with a brush and some water and um, some really nice paper. And um, it could be just that, that that's process art. Like, oh, I wonder what we're going to paint today. I mean, a lot of process art is learning, um, I think, about the language, too, that I have found to be extremely helpful. And I do talk about it in my book. And I have this great poster that we have hanging in the studio um, and it's based on <clears throat> excuse me this idea of I wonder I notice I see it's like you reflecting to your child what you're seeing them doing what you what oh I wonder what you're going to do next I see that you use blue here um, I notice your your whole picture is blue what an interesting choice what tell me about tell me about that and it's just about like opening up the conversation to different ideas and making connections with the decisions that we make and honoring what the child is doing and it doesn't mean that you can't have this amazing product at the end it just means that's not really the point of what we're doing Right. And a highly structured art activity is something I think that we're used to seeing a lot with young children, this idea that, you know, the teacher holds up a snowman and says, glue the small circle on top, the medium circle in the middle and the big circle on the bottom and put the two googly eyes right here. Mm -hmm. It's very directive and it has a specific end goal in mind. Yeah. And I see a lot of that on Pinterest and a lot of that in preschools. Yeah. In fact, that was how I chose a preschool for my daughters. If I walked in and saw 
20 snowmen with all their buttons lined up, I knew this was not the school for me. And that was the work of the teacher and not the child. Because typically, a three-year-old or a two-and-a-half-year-old or even a four-year-old doesn't have a straight line of buttons on their snowman. And I really wanted to move away from that and and struggle with that whole like teacher sitting, prepping all these perfect circles. Like that's not where the value is. So um, I'm trying to create experiences and teach families how to, moms how to have these experiences that aren't those cookie cutter type of ideas. Right. And I actually do the same thing. And whenever I'm um, giving suggestions to friends who are choosing preschools, that's what I tell them to look for too. take a look at the art. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about the art. And I think sometimes when we think about creativity, like we can get closed into this box of art is art and creativity is something creating something art like, but the, the truth is that the art is representative many times of the teaching philosophies or the curriculum philosophies in the school. And that is that the teacher leads, the teacher's in charge, the teacher has all the good ideas. Um, this is a very teacher-led classroom. And it might not be across the board, but I think that's one way that you can get an idea of, you know, who is in charge of the learning here? Do kids have autonomy and decision-making and can they lead their own learning? Or is the teacher going to be telling them this is right and this is wrong? Absolutely. And if you walk into a school and you look on the wall and you see maybe something you can't quite explain. It looks like there's maybe a lot of gluing and some strange materials, you know, egg cartons, wire, beads in a, in a format that you don't really understand. I would encourage parents to see that as a really great thing because that's the mind of a child and them figuring things out and making decisions on their own. And then the teacher valuing those decisions and those, that thought process and saying, Hey, this is great. These are your ideas. And I think those are really important. And now I'm going to hang them on the wall. And that child gets to look at their work and say, I made that rather than the snowman that they know that they don't, they have no connection to. Right, exactly. Now, there are some kids, I think that you can just set them in front of a stack of art supplies and they can just go to town and create something magnificent. And there are other kids who you can sit in front of art supplies and they just don't even know where to begin. Do you, and I saw something that you have posted recently about your girls on Instagram. Do you have one of each of these or how would you describe your daughter's approach to art? Yeah, well, I have one that loves to tinker and really feels comfortable in that like open-ended space, my younger daughter. And then I have one, and I think you're referencing, I, I talked about my older daughter, Gigi, who's now eight, who I would have described in the past as somebody who didn't really like art making in that traditional sense of like, you know, let me just sit down and draw and lose myself in what I'm doing. And it took me a really long time, and it actually was really humbling to have an experience with my daughter recently where she had we have we often do these days in this in the studio where it's just me and my girls and um no one else you know we're closed to you know maybe it's a Sunday afternoon or something and it's just the three of us where we get to make and use all the materials in the in the studio and um she sort of didn't know what to do and so she was looking through my book and she came across the small worlds and said, mama, I want to, I want to make one of these worlds. And so I got out all the materials and, um, she was able, it's one of the more structured projects in the sense that, you know, it's step one, step two and step three, and you, you can have something at the end, this world, whatever theme you're interested in. And, she got so excited following these steps and it brought forward this conversation of like, um, you know, I liked, she said something like, I like to know what comes next. So I know if I'm doing it right. And that idea really struck me because I'm very different than that. Like I like to just do my own thing and let me create here and sort of step aside and my daughter really likes more of that structure. And I said, well, what do you mean? Like, 
she said, she ended up saying, I like to know if I'm doing it right. So if I don't know the steps, I just don't do it. And I say I'm bored. And I was like, wow, that's amazing that you just told me that. I have just learned so much. And I said to her, oh, so it's not really like you don't like creating. It's just that you feel more comfortable when you know what to do, when you know the, the steps. And she got so excited and she was like, yes, mama, that's what I like. And it just opened up this new understanding that, that kids don't um, all like to create in, this, in the same way or they don't all learn in the same way, which, of course, I know as an educator. But when it's your own child and they school you, it takes a whole different meaning to it. Right. It's kind of this aha moment. And that really resonated with me because I think that the same thing is very applicable to toys. So if you give my daughter just a set of plain unit blocks, like she could make a castle, she could create lots and lots of things. If you put my son in front of a set of unit blocks, he's like, okay, well, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I find that he appreciates not highly structured toys, but some toys with direction. So like, as opposed to a plain set of unit blocks, perhaps like a Brio train set where there's a tunnel and there's um, a construction site and different elements to it so that he doesn't have to construct everything in his brain. Yeah, I think my daughter is the same. And I know other kids the same. It's like with a little structure, then she can find her voice and she becomes actually super creative and has all these ideas, but she needs some parameters to sort of start her engine. Yes. And I think I get one of the questions I get probably the most often from my audience is, I have a kid who struggles with independent play, like, how do I get them to play more independently? And I think that these are the kids that we're seeing that are struggling with independent play sometimes is that the kids who are struggling to get started, struggling to move forward on this path, because play is very much it, it's sort of like a script, like a theater script, especially when it comes to pretend play, right? You're acting out a script. You have lines, you have a role, there's a story to it. And if you have a kid that that doesn't come so naturally for that planning and articulating of the story and the characters and that sort of thing, they're going to struggle a little bit more with getting started, whether it's telling a story through their art, telling a story through playing with their toys or telling a story just through dramatic play. And I think across the board that those the kids who sort of have a harder time getting started with those things are going to benefit from a little bit more structure, but at the same time, not having everything completely spelled out for them. Yeah, I think that's true. Like, and one of the ways that I know helps my daughter is if I put out an invitation to create, you know, like a little setup of an art activity, sometimes I'll put a sign with it. So it says something like, um, make a card for grandma or, you know, just give some sort of starting point that then she can run with where some kids can just sit down and see art supplies and just get going. But for those kids that need a little push or a little, you know, hint of what, what's to come, those signs are really great. And often they're helpful because it's one thing to hear mom or dad give you an idea, but when it's like on a neutral sign, it's really helpful. Yeah. And I love that she was able to say that she used the terms I'm bored when it was something she was feeling kind of stuck on, because I think that we probably hear that a lot from kids, the sort of I'm bored with play or I'm bored with art or this is boring. And that can sometimes be code for, hey, I need a little more support getting started or I need someone to help me get to the next step. Oh, it was so helpful because you know, as someone who has invested a life in in creativity and art making and to hear my daughter, and I have this gorgeous studio with all these opportunities and to hear her say, I'm bored. It was hard not to take that personally and like, okay, you know, so it was, it was difficult for me. And I'm so grateful to her for articulating. It's not that she's bored. She's uncomfortable and she doesn't know what to do next. And so now I'm trying to really pay attention to that, not only for her, but for any kids that need a little more 
a little more structure because definitely she's not alone. And with just that little tweak of an activity, it's like the engine is turned on and there, you know, the train has left the station. Yeah. And the idea of giving her something with steps, I feel like even having her sit down with you and write out some steps and brainstorm the steps with you, just so she, even if it's a plan that she has initiated, it's something that she had a little bit of support in coming up with the steps for the plan and it's still hers, but she has something to, to work with, something to go on. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that kind of thing can be really empowering for kids. So it's still their words, even if there's some support in creating it and executing it and jotting it down. Yeah. And I, she, I remember once we also got this like um, cardboard fairy structure in the mail from this company. I think it's called scribble art box. And it's where you just put together this, these pieces of cardboard to make a fairy kingdom and then you get to paint it. And it's very like step one, step two, but within those steps to see her painting and lit up that she could be so creative and this room is going to be, you know, for their beds. And, you know, she had all these ideas for all of the rooms and um, the the paints and mom, will you help me mix these paints? And I just saw her lit up, from such a creative space that she wasn't quite able to get to for a while from the way I was doing it with her. And I, I just appreciate that moment and and feel really grateful that, you know, we try all these things as parents and I'm even like an expert in this, but I still have to like adjust things for my, for over for my child or for a class. And, and it's, it's, it's humbling and also exciting to be able to do that and figure out what works. Right. And I think just that knowledge is going to open up this whole world of kids who are like your daughter, who need a little bit more support around getting started and allowing them to find a way to engage in art that really fits them instead of just sort of pushing it off as something that is boring or they're not good at. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about what is an invitation to create? So it can be called a provocation, an invitation to create, or maybe in a kindergarten class, it might look something like a center. It's sort of just a simple way of saying a setup that you can provide for your child. And my my book is set up very much with these invitations and examples of how to set them up. But as a mom or a parent, you can um, put a little placemat or a tray on a table and trees and placemats are really nice because especially if you have siblings it sort of says this is your designated space and the things that are in this area are for you to use Um, and it helps with you know arguing about this is mine this is you know that kind of thing Um, and it's an an invitation or a setup that says here this is for you come check me out and you're invited to Um, work with me or work with these materials. And I used, when I was um, a kindergarten teacher, when my girls were very young and I was working quite a long day and had very limited time to, to spend with my girls before I would go to bed, I would set up these invitations for them to create that they would then wake up to in the morning and then run to the back of, to our back den and see what I had set up for them. And this is really the moment that got me hooked was I had set up an invitation the night before my girls were running to the back room. And I think they were three and four maybe at the time. And as they were running, my daughter Gigi said, I don't really care what it is. I just like knowing that you thought about us. And And it just went straight to my heart. And I said, okay, this is where I can connect with my kids in this busy life. And as a um, full-time, you know, with a full-time job, this is where I can create magic with my kids. And, and I really took, you know, so much joy and inspiration from that. And so the book is just a culmination of lots of different ideas that we've tried over the years that I found to really work. 
So I really loved that you had 13 art supplies that you recommended in the book. And you can really do a lot with just some core basic supplies. And I think that for me was really empowering when I first opened it up and we saw that wand activity. It's something, hey, we have this stuff. Like we can do this right now. And it wasn't something that took a lot of planning. I didn't have to make a trip to the craft store and I didn't have to make my home look like a craft store, more importantly, because keeping track of art supplies and keeping them organized is definitely not my strong suit at all. I, you're not alone. No, nobody's really <laughs> good at that. Yeah, it doesn't have to be these elaborate supplies. You likely have so much either in your kitchen cabinet or your art mishmash that can go really a long way. So we've talked a little bit about art inspiring confidence and creativity, but let's talk about connection. I, when I had tried to do art with my kids in the past, I felt like I was just kind of sitting there watching and I have a type A personality where I kind of want to have my hands in it. And I felt like my natural urge was to like reach in and like correct what they were doing or make changes to theirs. But I have taken up my own. So I'm like working along with them and doing whatever they're doing, but on my own project And that has been really eye-opening for me. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you're doing that. How, how has that experience been, been or different from, you know, trying to get on their case for their art? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it reminds me just how difficult it is to make something look like you want it to look um, because I've never really felt confident, especially when it comes to drawing and painting and that sort of thing. So I feel like I'm starting to be a little bit more willing to take risk knowing that whatever I'm trying to make or paint, I've been dabbling a little bit in nature journaling. Like it's, it's not going to look the way that it looks in the nature journaling books that I'm looking at, like the models, that sort of thing. And just resting easy with that and knowing that it's going to be okay. Um, But the other thing that has been really striking to me is that I, so I have hypermobility, which is basically loose joints. Um, and I have really loose joints in my hands. And so I have, it's basically, it's kind of like double jointed hands, but really, really double jointed. And I, since I've started doing some art with my kids, I have been writing more and using a writing utensil more. And it sort of brought me back to this, to my childhood where I did a lot of writing. And I remembered that my hands fatigue really easily and get tired. And it's actually kind of painful for me to be using my hands a lot, especially now that I'm typing all the time and I'm not writing and using those muscles that my hands do fatigue. I mean, I can only really write like a sentence or two and my hands are wiped. Mm -hmm. Um, And so both of my kids also have hypermobility. And so keeping that in mind, it's like, wow, like actually doing a ton of writing, a ton of painting, a ton of drawing might not be something that they're so inclined to do because it might not be comfortable to them. Yeah. Wow. Well, what that makes me think of is how these experiences bring forward empathy and how you can relate to how it feels for a three-year-old who's first learning to use their hands and hold a pencil and do all these things for often the first time or a scissor and how awkward and for you painful and how you can have conversations around that. And I think that brings that idea of connection. It's like now you're making these new connections with your kids about their experience and your, your own experience. Yes, absolutely. And I think I I've had completely blocked out that phase of my life when I was learning how to write. I was always a straight A student, but my handwriting was always, at that time, they graded handwriting in O, S, and U. And I was like, straight A's and U's in oh. handwriting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I still have horrendous, horrendous handwriting. And I avoid it because it definitely fatigues my hands and it becomes uncomfortable very quickly for me. So it's something that I'm being mindful of when I am introducing art and handwriting to my kids is that they might fatigue faster than other kids and maybe small doses might even be a better fit for them. Yeah. And maybe I'm trying to think in my mind of some activities in the book that don't require all that, you know, fine motor and, you know, pressure on our hands. And it's maybe more I don't know, I'd have to look through, but maybe more yeah. of the doughs or slimes or things like that, that 
Yeah. Well, and those things all strengthen the hands, which is really what I need is that I'm just not using those muscles anymore because I'm typing and swiping all the time Yeah, and I'm not using my hand muscles. So actually it's really good for me to be doing these art projects too. Oh, that's great. And I love, you know, what you said about you're sitting down with your kids and, and participating with them, not just watching them. And some kids are happy to just go and do, you know, those independent kids who get in their zone and they just can do whatever the process is for an hour or 45 minutes, whatever it is. And my kids are more like, they want to spend time with me. And so if, if I just set the activity up for them, maybe we get 20 minutes of an experience. But if I sit down with them, and then if my husband sits down as well, and it becomes like this family art making experience, that's our time. Like those are the memories that I hope that my kids will really look back on and think so positively of, of when we're all sitting around, you know, now it's Halloween. So we were recently, um, uh, I set up tinker trays and we decorated pumpkins and we were hammering golf tees into the pumpkins and um, tying yarn around them and doing all these things with different chalk markers. And, and, and we all made two pumpkins and we were laughing and connecting and having the, this great family experience. And that's what it looks like in our house when it's like out of 10. And I really, that's what really lights me up. Yeah. And this makes me think of this emerging trend for these like paint and wine studios that women are going to and people are having parties at where you can go in an evening with your friends and paint and um, eat and drink and that sort of thing. And I think that that's, I mean, people are not really going to do serious art there. They're going for connection and that time spent together. Absolutely. So we at, at our art studio have ladies craft nights and where we pick a craft, let's say it's a, you know, macrame wall hanging or something like that. And it's just so magical to see these moms come, give themselves a break from the day to day and just let loose, talk to other women and really connect with themselves, remember things about themselves from when they were young that they used to love to do and just talk and get to know each other and then create something that they feel really good about and just enjoy the whole evening like that is the magic of art making and I just want to provide as many experiences as that of that as I can for people yes and that is the perfect example of process over product and the importance of that time spent together absolutely I agree so what do you do about perfectionists? I have a kid who scribbles out everything that he draws that's sort of not up to snuff. Yeah, that's a tough one. And and I've been asked that before. I have little bits of that with my own, with my younger daughter. And I've seen, you know, that happen with kids. And I think the first answer to that is empathy. Like they're being so hard on themselves in that moment. And I think we could all relate to that self-judgment. And it is hard, especially for a young child. You were saying for yourself, it's hard for your art to look the way you want it to look in your mind. So having this really empathetic, um, you know, being really empathetic is the starting point. Like, wow, you really wanted it to look one way and it didn't go that way. That's really hard. Or I see your, your, frustrated and that I I can see it in your hands you're and I try to empathize in that way to start and then I also think that giving process art is great because the expectations aren't always so clear it enables kids to loosen up a little bit so giving them um, opportunities or or um, processes to do that are just there's no right or wrong way to do it so that they can start taking risks from that place. And when they do activities like, you know, um, I don't know, even playing with cornstarch and water, which is often called oobleck, you know, and you're, um, it, it's a really interesting thing that happens when you put water into cornstarch. It, it can change from a liquid to a solid based on movement. I don't know the total science behind it, but it, it's pretty fascinating. And so putting some, 
cornstarch in a bowl with maybe some food coloring to make it an, a cool color and having the kids do that. If, and then noticing things that they're doing during those times. So like, wow, Johnny, I love the way you're using this tool to make it um, move in this way. What a great idea. And you're giving that, like that child starts to experience, oh, this person thinks, or my mom is really noticing my great ideas and that feels good. And they're building that confidence. And then you try another activity that's maybe a little more structured or has more of a skill attached to it. And wow, in the beginning, I saw that was really hard for you, but now you're really wrapping that yarn around the stick and you got it and you didn't give up. That's so great. And then you sort of build more towards those activities that are more, you know, real skill, like drawing a circle or something like that. I just think it's a process of like getting there and giving our kids the confidence to take those risks. I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm thinking about just kind of two projects we've done recently. One was we took boxes and made a robot, which is very much a process art activity. There's no idealized final image of the robot. Mm -hmm. So if you have something like that, it's, you can't really make it wrong. (laughs) So I feel like a kid like my son who is going to scribble out, like if he decides he's going to draw a transformer, which for a five-year-old to draw a transformer is pretty complicated. It's not going to look the way that he wants to look and he's going to feel let down. He's going to feel like he can't do it. So I think that you're right. The opportunity to feel successful and to build confidence is there in the process open-ended activities as opposed to the closed activities where they have a very specific vision for what they're trying to create. Yeah, it's like you're laying the groundwork, you're, you're putting the roots in. And then hopefully, as the kids get older, as they developmentally get stronger, are, you know, more capable of doing certain tasks, they'll be like, I got there, look, I can do it now. And that feels really good. Yes. So uh, I talked a little bit about my, about my son's approach to art, but my daughter is like an all in all in head to toe on everything she does. So she's the kid who goes to the mud puddle and doesn't just stomp, but like has to dip her hair (laughs) in her face and everything. And she's also that way with paint. And I know that that has been, she loves, loves, loves to paint. She's three and a half. But I mean, I remember I went to the bathroom one day and I came back and she had dipped her whole face in the tray of paint and she was using her face as basically like (laughs) a stamp. Like, so her nose, her eyes, like she was like stamping her face on paper. And I was just like, and experiences like that, like definitely great photo ops, but I, I just feel like they can be exhausting. So do you have any words of advice for parents who have really good intentions and just end up feeling like a, they've had a beat down after a day of, or a morning or an afternoon of art? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, to me, one, there's a lot of great value in that experience. Clearly from a sensory perspective, that is, you know, you would know better than me the language around this, but that, that's satisfying to them. It's filling some sort of need, Right. Um, so in that way, I think giving kids that want those sensory experiences, give them to those kids. Granted, you maybe didn't have that intention with the painting experience. (laughs) And also you didn't probably want the mess of that. And that's stressful, you know, and I, I totally get that. So I try to tell parents to set yourselves up for success. So like, if you're going to have paints out, maybe do it in the bathtub or do it outside. Or if you're going to play with like dyed rice or something like that, or, you know, something that's messy, have something covering the floor, take off your kids clothes. If you are worried about, or put, make sure you have a smock on them or tie their hair back. If they're going to be making, you know, playing with slime, like you want this to be a positive experience for you and for them. So that's going to take a little preventative planning to make it as stress-free as possible and if you you know it's risky to leave your child with paint in a room so (laughs) I'm not don't use the restroom (laughs) so you just I mean and it's also a recognition that things are going to go wrong like not every book activity in my book is going to be a home run for every child like you try things out and some are going to be great and some are going to be misses and 
like, isn't that life? you know? Yes. Yes. And I also think reading the energy of the child is important because if your kid is in a mood to like go for a run or a bike ride or get out and stretch, like maybe working and doing art in a closed small space is not the ideal activity for that moment. Um, If they have a lot of big energy, making sure that you're picking a big activity for that. Otherwise your art activity is going to get big and big mess real quick. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for a long time, our art activity, and I say that in quotes was like giving my kids a scissor and they could go in the backyard and be landscapers and trim the you know, the plants outside. And they love that. They got that great fine motor practicing with the scissors, you know, and they could do that and their imagination was going and and it was such a great experience. So you do have to read your kids and where they're at. And I think as parents, sometimes we're like, no, we're going to make beautiful art right now. And, you know, it's just not going to happen that way sometimes. Yes. Yes. Even if you want, even if you have a perfectly arranged art invitation, it's not always going to invite every kid at every moment. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, Mary. I know that we can find you on Instagram, which I'm going to put the link in the show notes and your book. I'm going to put the link for that in the show notes. And also tell me a little bit about your studio. Oh, yeah, great. Um, Well, so we opened Mary Cherry Art Studio about almost four years ago in the San Fernando Valley here in Los Angeles in an area called Tarzana. And Mary Cherry Art Studio is a process art studio. Um, So everything we do is through that lens of focusing on the making and the doing rather than the finished product, though the kids come home with some pretty amazing work that they feel really proud of. And we do everything from toddler sensory art playgroups to um, classes to birthday parties and camps. And it's a really fun place to be. I'm super in love with it. Oh, that's awesome. I love to hear that. And if I'm ever in the area, I will definitely be stopping by. Oh, please. And bring your kids and we'll have a great time. We'll do a little more structured and then a little more messy. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, Mary. Thank you, Danae. It's been great. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. I highly suggest that you follow along with Mary on Instagram and on her blog. Her name is spelled M-E-R-I Cherry, just like the fruit, Mary Cherry. But you can also find links to her profile and the things that we talked about today if you go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 177. Thanks so much for tuning in. I would love to have you as a part of the Mental Unload starting next week. So if you're interested in that, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash unload to get all the details. Have a good one.